0: Amy. And I'm Jory. And this is the Don't Tell Me What To Do podcast. This is the second episode that I'm doing with laryngitis, but we're kicking on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sexy voice number
0: two. (laughs) And today we're here to talk about what happens when people shell out advice and it has profound effects on our psyche and how do we navigate that? How does it change our lives for the better, for the worse? Um, So we're excited to dive into that topic today. So today we have... Ellie!
1: Hey, Ellie! Hey! I'm so excited (laughs) to be here! Ellie Summers Summers Mm -hmm. is the uh, founder of Sisu Sports Performance and Physical Therapy. And we just learned what Sisu means. So can you give us a quick update of what Sisu means?
2: Yeah. Sisu is a Finnish term and it stands for hardiness and grit and the ability to overcome obstacles in the face of adversity.
1: I don't know about y'all, but now that is one of my new favorite words. Yes. Uh, I will be using it all the time. Hopefully more in reference to Ellie's business here in <laughs> Seattle, in the Fremont area of Seattle. Um, but as what I when we were talking about starting this podcast and we started thinking through who we wanted to have here, You know whose voices we really wanted to hear from, Ellie was top of the list. Because what we noticed, and, and for those of us, we talked about Fuel House, so you know Molly from a previous episode. You also know Lestrandra from a previous episode. The Seattle community is only so big and so small, and everyone knows everyone, but we all know Ellie, especially from the way that she portrays herself on social media and how she fiercely advocates for female athletes. And as female athletes, we love this because it kinda of blows our minds in so many different ways. And the the things she things you put out on Instagram. Thank you, thank it's you. like, ha, huh, that makes <laughs> total sense. So we're really excited, really, really excited to have you here today. Yeah. So we're gonna dig in just straight from the get go. Ellie. Yeah. What was an early don't-tell-me-what-to-do moment?
2: Oh, yeah, so when you asked me this question, the first thing I thought of was a moment when I was 12, about 12 years old. I was a young girl, and playing soccer at the time, I was really into soccer. Um, And coming off of a practice one afternoon, a father of one of the girls on my team came up to me and asked me, You know, do you want to play college soccer? And I was like, yes, of course. And I had all these big dreams. I was really driven, um, loved soccer. And so he was kind of asking me where I wanted to play. And I had told him that I wanted to play in North Carolina for the Tar Heels. And at the time, that was probably close to the 99 World Cup team. A Mm. lot of them had come from the Tar Heels. That was a very dominant school for women's soccer. And his response to me was very much uh, with caution. And Mm. at the time, he approached it as what I viewed to be like, that's not possible for you Mm. type of mindset. And that was my first sort of moment of somebody sort of telling me what was possible for me Mm. and me actually potentially believing it.
0: Which um, is actually scary that he was asking it in a way. You weren't just saying it and he was shutting down your dreams. Like, he's asking, do you want to play college soccer? He's yeah. inviting you to say yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, uh, maybe not. Yeah. And it was. it was also not that I couldn't play college soccer, because I did end up playing college soccer, but that he didn't think that I could make it to that level. That's what it felt like mm-hmm. to me. Um, And, you know, I kind of describe it as, like, that first hole in my armor. Like, you know, you're a young kid, and you've got all of these aspirations, and it takes one person to just plant a seed of doubt that can, I don't know, dictate paths for you moving forward. Totally.
1: Well, and as you were thinking through this story, and I I guess it resonates with me, too, because I had one of those moments with swimming, too, where it's was like, yeah, you're not gonna be an Olympian. And I'm like, but don't tell me, really? Yeah. But it does. You you're it's a very vulnerable age, right? Yeah. Twelve years old and you're that it's that hole in your armor. Yeah. So as you look back, like, how has that hole in your armor needed to be patched in a sense?
2: Yeah. So that took a long time to patch. <laughs> because obviously playing at that level is super hard and you're you know there's like a small number of people who are even going to play at the division one level Um, but I think I patched it in other ways because I excelled at soccer in so many ways I mean I was you know all regional player for many years I played division one soccer in the end after all and so it became patched but through many years of dedication and hard work and sort of I don't know, creating my own space around it all, which was deciding that I loved the sport and it didn't matter really where I ended up playing, what mattered is that I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's half the battle. It's half the battle, it definitely is, yeah. So as
1: you kind of take that, that lesson and we kind of walk through your life, you played Division One soccer, where did mm-hmm. you play? I oh. played at St. Louis University. I didn't know that. Oh, that's fun. Midwesterners unite. Um, And they kicked ass. Yeah, we're good. You're Mm -hmm. good. So obviously, soccer dad Mm -hmm. needs to go. Screw him. Yeah, Yeah. screw him. Mm -hmm. He needs to be quiet because obviously that was not okay. And for all of you who want to tell little girls that they can't do anything, We'll have other conversations about that. Right. But fast forward to now, like that was a previous moment, you've built up your arm right now, but that's not the last time you've had a don't tell me what to do moment. No. So let's talk about this next one. Yeah,
2: so I mean, there's so many different moments to call upon, but I think most recently and most present in my mind is the moments that I decided to transition into my own business and practice um, as a physical therapist. And when I first started my business, it was very much thought by a lot of my mentors that I should transition to working with pediatric athletes or adolescent athletes, specifically soccer players. Um, and part of the reason that was was because I came from Seattle Children's Hospital Sports Medicine department and I had been working there for years. and so my skill set was most notably in pediatric sports. Um, and it took a lot of time for me to realize that that's not it's not what I wanted to do. And I, I had to really decide that that was okay because my confidence was in, Sports. It still is in sports, of mm-hmm. course. It's just working with adults now. Um, and I really just wanted to pursue a path in sports that meant focusing in on the female athlete because of some of my childhood experiences. And those experiences that tell you that you're not enough, that you're not going to be able to make it, all of these things that I couldn't quite verbalize straight out of the gates, but I've like you know, find my way through the weeds a little bit and I've been able to start to actualize how I feel about it. And why do you think
0: you were getting that feedback was, were people supportive of you starting your own business but only if it made sense of this is her background. Okay, she can start a business but we need to bring that resume with that business.
2: Yes. Or it's too risky, Yeah, probably. Yeah, so starting a business is risky, I mm-hmm. think, just in general. Um, in the physical therapy realm, it's it's sort of a weird setting in ways, because I wanted to pursue basically fee for service physical therapy because it would open up doors for me to be creative and flex in the ways that I am flexing now. Um, but that means that you have to be like pretty specialized for people to want to come see you instead I, of you billing an insurance company based on, you have a shoulder injury, you right. have a hip injury. Right. Got it. And so my mentors saw me as being specialized in pediatric sports because that's where my background had been for many years. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it is a way maybe more solid bet to plan on this is what the skill set is that I have right now, that's where I should start my practice. Um, I think that's part of the reason I got pushback. I think it was a safer option. It was one that was really marketable at the time. It was one that like, I had a ton of really good experience in that I could put all over my website, I still do. Um, maybe not all over my website, but yeah. So it was a safe option, but I didn't ever like safe. <laughs> I've never liked safe, so
1: yeah. Tell me, why? So the safe option was obviously not the right option. But the safe option and the right option, those two tracks kind of diverge with a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. So what were some of the questions that were rolling through your mind as you decided, okay, pediatrics is not where I want to be. I want to do
2: this. Yes. What were some of those questions? Am I good enough? <laughs> that was like... That was, and still is a lot of the time, the most present question that I ask myself every day. Like, mm-hmm. am I good enough at this particular skill? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's a lot of like different areas to be good at when you start a business. Um, but once I started to refine and uh, get the clients that I knew that I could help in this particular way, I realized like, no, the technician side of me is good no matter what I'm doing, um, and now that I know, now that I like, have a lot more passion behind what I'm doing, it makes me excel at it even more. So the uh, am I good enough was definitely the most challenging roadblock for me. Wow. Early on. And, and I, how, do, yeah. how, no, how do you,
1: I
0: mean, we're both thinking I, like, We're both like <laughs> floored because, yeah, we're, that resonates. It really resonates. And I think it's that I've thought about that, too, with new things. And it's coming out of this fear of other people can do this better. It can somebody be added to this. Am I an additive in a positive way?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Will I always be compared to other people? It's a yeah. really hard thing to move through. Totally.
2: Yeah. And in the time of social media, when all of that is very present and in front of your face, mm. it's very easy to get caught up in it and feel like you're never doing enough mm. and never doing it right. Um, that's That's been my experience along the way. And I think part of how I've combated that is just deciding that it didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't care if I was doing it perfectly or right. It was that I was doing it at all that was like giving me the confidence to keep doing it. And it's almost like a snowball effect from there. You start to just gain more confidence as you go.
0: And what were some of those first clients that came in and those experiences that gave you that snowball effect? Like were there that those yeah. light bulb moments where, okay, wow, I really need to work in this space. There's not enough people yes. shelling
2: out the positive advice like this. Yes. So a good portion of my clients now have been in the medical system in some capacity and have typically had challenging experiences there. Mm -hmm. And what has brought me the most joy is being able to say to them, I've been in the medical system, that's how it works, but that's not how we're going to get you better. How can I migrate people out of the medical system? And that was a light bulb moment because most people come to me now and they're they're like, you know, I haven't running, for example. I haven't been running in months. All I wanna do is run. Can I run? At a certain point, you just have to tell them, yes, you can. Let me show you the way to do that. Instead of being the person to be like, no, you can't, and these are all the reasons why you can't that's kind of how I've sort of morphed and found my calling and my niche. It's like getting those people and realizing they've been held back for so long for reasons that are complex and nuanced and based on medicalized care. And I just want to get them out of that. And it sounds
0: like a lot of that, yes, you're going to show exercises, but a lot of that is working with the mental side of it as well. Like, how do you get... If you're so terrified to run because you think that you're going to re-injure yourself or have this debilitating pain, what do you... Like, what exercises can you help them with mentally?
2: Yeah. So the first thing is just listening. Yeah. Shocker, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> like, shocker. That's yeah. the first thing? Yeah. I love it. And letting them tell their story. Because when you allow somebody the space to open up in a clinical setting, which is hard to do when you're being pressed for time and you're like focused on documentation. Now in the setting that I'm in, I have time to have a conversation with somebody. You start to realize where their fears stem from, what what specifically is sort of stopping them um, and can immediately break down some of those fears by giving them new information that hopefully makes them feel more empowered and less fearful about moving forward. Yeah, because we trust the medical system as a whole and right. any
0: advice that we get. I think it's hard to realize that it's really only one opinion when you're getting that advice even though yeah. it could change the course of your life. It
2: can absolutely change the course of your mm-hmm. life for the negative. Mm-hmm. like. So I'm gonna be like a little harsh on the medical system, which will be this like, don't tell me what to do. I've been in the medical system as a provider. It feeds on itself. It feeds on people continuing to have pain and be sick. And while I know that it helps a lot of people too, there's the dark side in musculoskeletal medicine that keeps people in pain. It literally does. And so I have Definitely a jaded view. I have a distrust, which is yeah. kind of funny because I am a healthcare care provider <laughs> um, And I think once people can realize like they have the autonomy to choose their path They have the choice. They can make that decision for themselves. That's what I want to help people Actualize. Mm-hmm. I'm not there to tell them how to do that. I'm just there to like shine a light in the darkness of the forest and give you a path out
0: and what do you think is happening with women overall? Like, I I love for you to summarize what Amy and I love so much of your social media, and that you have so much passion and anger around of what are we being told that is so. I mean, it's
1: passion, it's anger, it's frustration, so raw. <laughs> it's yeah. raw,
0: it's it's good, and it hits
1: and it's hard,
2: it's so
0: and, harmful, yeah,
2: it is harmful. In fact. I, so I teach a course called Managing the Female Athlete with my friend Allison Tinney. She's wonderful. Love for her. For listening, Love follow her. her. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to be updating the slides to include in the very first part, are we doing harm? And for what I know of like the work that I've done in the past, there are a lot of very simple narratives that as physical therapists in particular do increase what I perceive as harm to female athletes. And it centers around fragility narratives and weakness narratives, that weakness or um, fragility is what causes your pain and injury as a woman, and I'm just not okay with that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so talk. So this this narrative truly would be just breaking it down. Mm-hmm. I am not strong enough, so I will. Yep fall. I will hurt myself. I am not strong enough or my shoulder hurts. So I shouldn't lift or I, I don't know. I mean, is is
2: that the narrative you're talking about? Yeah. So it is complicated, but in simple terms, it's getting somebody in and being like, you have knee pain because you're weak because Mm -hmm. you have a weak core because you have weak hips. And it's like, okay, well, let's think backwards a little bit before you start having knee pain, you're not having knee pain, are you weak and still not having knee pain? <laughs> or did you get weak somehow and then you started having knee pain? To me, like that's not the, the best way to treat somebody with their pain is to make them feel like it's their fault, right. like you're weak. You should be stronger? No, that I'm not okay with that. That's not how that works, which is why I value listening skills and why I value autonomy and self-efficacy because we know that weakness is not a primary cause but that's what we're taught in school. Is like, you have pain here because you're weak. Right. Um, and even science, if somebody was weak,
0: I still, like, you've changed my perspective there that even if strengthening a certain part of your body could help pain, which in some cases it likely is helpful, I think what's interesting about your perspective is we never need to phrase it in that way because you don't need to walk away thinking, I mean, I've seen many many physical therapists for things and I was told 10 years ago that I have weak lats and it still sticks with me Yeah. I can't do a pull-up now, and I think, well, I was told I to have weak lats, so that's probably why I'll never be able to do a pull-up. And it's so mentally debilitating. It gets in your head. Yes. It really sticks in your
1: head. And for those of you who can't actually see us right now, all three of us, <laughs> were like, yes, this is it. <laughs> Arms wide open being like, yes, this is exactly it. Yeah. And it gets in your head.
2: Yeah.
1: It totally it gets stays. in your
0: head. Versus, oh, you want to do a pull-up? Let me tell you all the exercises that could help you build up to that. We never need to say... You have this inherent weakness because of your anatomy.
2: Right. Right. The anatomy side drives me up the wall. Mm. And there's narratives around that with women um, that are absolutely just ridiculous. And the biggest one is you have injuries because of your hormones or because of your wide hips. And that is, it's just it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. We don't use those narratives for male athletes. They still have hormones going through their system. Mm -hmm. Hormones are a natural part. And I think like I really want the women and female athletes that I work with to just feel a sense of like, um, like, uh, I don't know what the word is strength in their own body no matter what it looks like, no matter what's going on inside, just that their body is enough exactly the way it is, and that there are ways we can help treat your pain, yes, through strengthening and exercise, for all kinds of nuanced reasons, but not stemming from the fact that you're considered, quote, weak. Yeah, And I love how
0: you aren't just doing this with your own business, but you're writing for major publications to try to get this out there, and I'd love to hear what were some of the positive responses that you've received, especially within that more traditional community, and
2: what backlash have you had to navigate? Oh
0: yeah.
1: Oh, <laughs> let's stick into this one.
2: Yeah, that one's. I have. It's, it always surprises me when I get backlash about this stuff because, um, a lot of times it comes from women, and what? yeah, and women being like, "No, I am weak in those spots." And that's like, you know, an interesting sort of dynamic as well because, sure, you can have what we perceive to be as, quote, weakness in certain areas. If I were to test anybody in certain positions, I could find weakness. I'm trained to do that. But I think the way that you frame it ultimately has to change. And that pushback comes from just years of believing these are the reasons why you have pain and injuries because of persistent chronic weakness. Um, So the pushback is always interesting because I want anybody to feel validated in their concerns about their own situation. I want them to know, like, you have a right to create that narrative and believe what you believe. I just want to challenge it because I think it holds people back.
1: Yeah. And how do you, when you get those challenges and you say, I mean, have you had that conversation with somebody who's like face-to-face even of like, okay, so I read this. I, I don't believe what you believe, right? And uh, I still have weakness. Yeah. And after you've explained that to them, is there... The light bulb moment? Yeah.
2: It depends. Um, most of the time, I'm not going to try and force that unless I think it's going to help them significantly. Most people, there are still windows of opportunity to reframe and um, create an environment that can foster their recovery without diving into the weeds. But there are a lot of women who come with those narratives and you can sense, like I was told, they'll say something like, my physical therapist told me that I have weak glutes. And they'll kind of look at me like, what do you think? and then I'll test their glutes and be like hey guess what you're really strong and they'll be like I knew it I knew I had strong glutes. I have been working my off literally Yeah. how have my how could my glutes still be weak and so you'll you'll find that a lot of people have been given those narratives and also maybe are like not convinced just because of how hard they're working to try and make those muscles and areas strong so it's nuanced but that's that's the intricacies of like Developing relationship and listening skills and letting the person be who they are without forcing them into one pigeonhole way. And what about the public conversations you've had? I know you've written a
0: couple articles in response to articles out there that specifically talk in the ways that you're against and have you been able to change opinions and have them come
2: out that they are wrong? No. <laughs> <laughs> Good try, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think that I have empowered other women to uh, sort of stand up for themselves when they go to receive care from somebody else. I care about that a lot. So even if somebody's not ready to pay for my services, if they're seeing another provider, I want to f- give them power in their situation. And that's really what I'm trying to do with all of my messaging is like give women the power to say, no, that doesn't make sense to me or no, that doesn't make me feel good. You know, when you have an appointment with a physical therapist, it's about getting better. You shouldn't leave that appointment like sad and depressed about your body and like what your situation is, you should leave feeling hopeful yeah. <laughs> about the future and that you can give And better. that you have a plan. Yeah, and that you have, have
1: a plan. Yeah. Because exactly. isn't the point of all of this to go see a doctor I mean this goes back to what you were talking about the medical community and how that kind of feeds in itself. Like yeah. really the point of going to a doctor is to feel better. Yeah. But going to a doctor is to understand what situations are going on with your health in whatever shape and form. Right. And if that's not the end goal yeah that's a that's a problem yeah. and i think what's pretty powerful though what i hear from your story and what i've experienced with you is that the body is one thing
0: mm-hmm. the mind is another and so we don't have the right to affect somebody's mental state about mm-hmm. how they're going to view their body for the rest of their life
2: absolutely that's the thing you know and that's where the power is Mm. right Mm -hmm. in medicine is uh we call it the writing reflex like i want to fix people's experience right like but to a certain degree we have to resist that feeling to fix you because we're like there's nothing to fix in human beings they're wonderful like we're really incredibly adaptable creatures and i think that's where the medical community struggles. And for women, women have conditioned narratives that we're never enough, that something's always wrong with us, that our bodies aren't the way that we ever want them to be. We always have this expectation for ourselves that we'll never achieve. And it's learning to just accept that you're made beautifully no matter what, and you can get better exactly the way you're made.
0: Do you think, Amy and I were talking about you coming on the episode a couple days ago, and one thing that we were talking about was, do you ever feel like this passion and this fire that you have where every day you're fighting the good fight, does that, do you end up sometimes taking that home in maybe a negative way where like you're (laughs) constantly in like that fight or flight feel? And like, I don't know if that affects you, the relationship with your husband where he like, you sort of need to be like, today I'm gonna feel positive about the world, or, I, like, how does that affect you? Because that could be hard.
2: It is really, really tough. Because in the larger society, people believe these things. And so, and in, in the community, like, you expect that when you go to a provider, they're gonna, like, tell you everything that's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just, I do, like, it gets a little bit draining sometimes because you're up against it all the time. And you're fighting, you know, the medical narratives about what injury is. You're fighting these ideas around, um, you know, fragility narratives and these sort of like underpinning things that you can't really always see. Um, luckily, my husband is also a physical therapist, so he knows the science mm-hmm. and understands it. So he has the same fire, um, and we can sort of like we work well to sort of chill each other's fires when we yeah. need to. Okay, <laughs> good. I was like, you don't both rage yeah, at the same time. Sometimes. Okay.
1: Well, then, then yeah. we'll watch out. No,
2: I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in, around this, like, don't tell me what to do stuff, like, I want consumers to know that they have that power in their care. Like, all the time, you have that power to decide what is right for your body, um, especially as women. Like, your body is your business. I value that over almost anything at this point. Mm. So
1: that fire, even if you take it home, yeah, you guys can balance each other out and yeah. then come back to fight another day yeah. Yeah. on that. And
2: exercise helps too. You know? Yeah.
1: And and if you if you watch her on Instagram, you'll see all the lifting, all the running, all of the things, all All of the things.
2: things.
1: (laughs) So we've gone through a couple don't tell me what to do moments, but I wanna ask this one question about your most recent don't tell me what to do moment. If you were to go back a couple years ago in that moment of Am I enough? Right. Mm -hmm. And in that moment of like, I'm just going to start this business. Let's see if this works. What advice would you give yourself for that,
2: for that person, for that Ellie? Yeah. So I have thought about this a lot because I get asked this question um, Mm -hmm. frequently and I honestly wouldn't change anything. And part of the reason (coughs) is because I think that just taking steps and taking actions is exactly what I needed to do. And that's what I did. And you are always going to struggle with confidence. I think when you're sort of putting yourself on the line and putting yourself out there. um, And I never want to feel and look back on my experience as if there were always better ways to do it because of course there are so I look back on that and think just keep doing it like that's it keep showing up keep being yourself and keep going for it and what
1: advice would you give the 12 year old girl in that moment what would you tell her
2: I would tell her to try not to listen to that (laughs) advice. Yeah, you know, that's such an interesting thing to think about, because once somebody says something to you like that, it's, obviously I never forgot it. Right. Um, I would say, you know, forge your own path, and do it because you want to, and because it brings you joy, not for any other reason. Yeah. Just make it happen. Make it happen. Don't let that armor chink. Yeah, because Mm -hmm. we need it.
1: We need it all in our lives. mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank
2: you. Thank you so much much
1: for being here. Okay, so for those of you who are in Seattle, definitely come to Sisu. She is located in Fuel House Gym, like right Mm -hmm. next door, which is really convenient. So come work out with us. Go Sisu.
2: But where can everyone find you online? Yeah, so you can find me on my website which is Sisu, S-I-S-U, performancept.com. Um, basically, all of my contact information is going to be on there, but my email is Ellie, E-L-L-I-E, at Seattle.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Dr. Ellie Summers. Worth a um, follow. Yeah. Worth a follow. <laughs> Worth a follow. <laughs>
1: and I love to ask this, too. Who else would you follow?
2: Oh, Allison Tinney, 100%. She's, like, my <laughs> go-to. Um, ooh. Gosh. Uh, Felicia Johnson, she's amazing as well. Yeah. I can't ever say her name right. Less. less <laughs> balance balance less. less. She's amazing. Yes. <laughs> um, oh gosh. Molly, Fuel House Jim, yeah. wonderful. Give her a shout out. Uh, I feel like probably there's a lot of other people that i cannot think of right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Yes. (laughs) It's fair.
1: I feel like of all of the talks that we've had, like this too, is just really trying to help us reframe that narrative and reframe with positivity and the fact that we can accomplish anything that we need to do because we are we are enough. And I love putting the connections out there for others who are saying the same things. So that is awesome. But thank you so much for this conversation.
0: I hope everyone feels more empowered. Mm, yeah. me too. Definitely me do. Me too. <laughs>